Emma, Volume 2, Part 1, Chapters 1 through 3. In Chapter 1 of Volume 2, we meet the Bates women when Harriet and Emma pay a social call on them. Quote, Mrs. and Miss Bates loved to be called on, and she, that is Emma, knew she was considered by the very few who presumed ever to see imperfection in her as rather negligent in that respect and as not contributing what she ought to the stock of their scanty comforts. She had had many a hint from Mr. Knightley and some from her own heart as to her deficiency, end quote. But the truth is, Emma finds the Bates women tiresome and feels, quote, all the horror of being in danger of falling in with the second rate and third rate of Highbury, who were calling on them forever, and therefore she seldom went near them. But now she made this sudden resolution of not passing their door without going in, observing, as she proposed it to Harriet, that, as well as she could calculate, they were just now quite safe from any letter from Jane Fairfax, end quote. The reference to this calculation concerns the fact that Jane Fairfax writes to her aunt and grandmother on a regular schedule, and everyone is in Highbury is familiar with it. Miss Bates always insists on reading Jane's letters to them, and this is what Emma is trying to avoid. The house where the Bates women live belongs to people in business. Quote, Mrs. and Miss Bates occupied the drawing room floor, end quote. That is, the first floor above the ground floor. Their living above some kind of merchant establishment again indicates how far they have fallen in the world, because that's not very respectable. We hear a generous sampling of Miss Bates' dialogue in this chapter. She is someone who rambles on in what Today we might call a hypertextual mode because her dialogues often branch off into lengthy digressions and come back. The text contains a lot of dashes, which indicate her jumping around from topic to topic. Many of us have known people who talk like that. Emma asks, Have you heard from Miss Fairfax so lately? I hope she is well. Thank you. You are so kind, Miss Bates replies, and mentions a recent letter from Jane that she has received, evidently Emma has miscalculated, and proceeds to apologize for the fact that Jane has written such a short letter. She says that she had only written two pages, quote, and in general she fills the whole paper and crosses half, end quote. This is a reference to the 19th century practice of cross-writing. Because postage was based on the number of pages and they didn't use envelopes, they would fold the letter up to seal it. People often saved money by writing a letter and then turning the paper 90 degrees and writing over top their previous writing, across it, as it were, and this made such letters very difficult to read. Evidently, Miss Bates is adept at reading Jane's crossed writing, though her mother is not. So Emma hears all about the contents of Jane's letter, even before it is read to her. It turns out that Jane is going to be coming to Highbury because the family that she is staying with are traveling and they are sending her partway in their carriage. We'll hear more about this family in the next chapter. Miss Bates says, That is a reason of her writing out of rule, as we call it, for in the common course we should not have heard from her before next Tuesday or Wednesday. 
And Emma replies, Yes, so I imagined I was afraid there could be little chance of my hearing anything of Miss Fairfax today. In fact, poor Emma has timed her visit, hoping that she would not have to endure the endless discussion of Jane's letter, both the contents and the handwriting. Jane Fairfax will be coming to Highbury for a three-month stay. Emma begins to have some suspicions about Jane's possible reasons for her sudden visit. In Chapter 2, we meet Jane Fairfax and learn her backstory. She's Miss Bates's niece, who is an orphan. And we might note here the theme of dead or missing mothers. Emma's mother, Jane Fairfax's, Frank Churchill's, and Harriet Smith's. Jane is in excellent hands with the Campbells, who are friends of Jane's father's. He was Lieutenant Fairfax, who had been posted abroad with the army, but he had died in action. Jane's mother, the widow, had died of grief and consumption, or tuberculosis as we know it today. This left Jane orphaned as a young child. But Colonel Campbell was a friend of Lieutenant Fairfax, who had once saved his life during an outbreak of camp fever, which was probably typhus. Colonel Campbell has tried to do all he could for Jane. Having a daughter of his own about Jane's age, he took Jane into his household and raised her together with his daughter. He wasn't wealthy enough to be able to set her up financially because he had to look to his own daughter's fortune, but he saw to it that Jane was educated to the best of his ability so that she would be able to educate others, in other words, as a governess. Governesses occupied a very problematic sphere in society at this time and were very limited in both pay and freedom. I mentioned the wages that governesses received in a previous podcast. Although governesses received room and board, their annual pay was around 12 to 20 pounds at a time when the poverty level was about 50 pounds a year. Emma seems to have formed a dislike of Jane, though she can't quite explain why. Mr. Knightley's theory is that Jane is the accomplished woman that Emma wants to be. Emma is tired of hearing about Jane and how her letters are fussed over. There is evidently some jealousy here, yet she does feel somewhat guilty about her feelings toward Jane, again to Emma's credit. She also resents the fact that everyone expects Jane and Emma to be friends because they are the same age. Emma considers Jane to be very elegant and resolves to try harder to like Jane. Each time that Emma encounters Jane, she always feels guilty for the thoughts that she has had about her, and again she resolves to be friendlier toward her after what has been a two-year absence. But once again, quote, former provocations reappeared, end quote. These provocations include Jane's tiresome aunt, all the conversations about Jane, and the fact that Jane is a very reserved and polite person. Emma finds Jane's reserve to be rather cold and resents it. So we see here Emma's shifting feelings toward Jane Fairfax. She is resolving to be more charitable toward her, but finds it difficult to do so. One tidbit that inspires Emma's interest toward the end of Chapter 2 is the fact that Jane has apparently met Frank Churchill. He had been at Weymouth at the same time she was. Learning this, Emma asks Jane many questions about Frank, 
but doesn't get very much information, the narrator tells us that, quote, not a syllable of real information could Emma procure as to what he truly was. Was he handsome? She believed he was reckoned a very fine young man. Was he agreeable? He was generally thought so. Did he appear a sensible young man, a young man of information? At a watering place or in a common London acquaintance, it was difficult to decide on such points. Manners were all that could be safely judged of under a much longer knowledge than they had yet of Mr. Churchill. She believed everybody found his manners pleasing. Emma could not forgive her, end quote. In chapter three, Emma is still somewhat annoyed with Jane as she is dining with Mr. Knightley. Mr. Woodhouse is there as well, so Emma and Mr. Knightley are having a sort of coded conversation about Jane because they don't want to upset Emma's father. They discuss Jane's reserve. She says, Miss Fairfax is reserved. I always told you she was, a little, but you will soon overcome all that part of her reserve which ought to be overcome. All that has its foundation in diffidence. What arises from discretion must be honored. You think her diffident. I do not see it. Now, diffident means lacking confidence or shy. My dear Emma, said he, moving from his chair into one close by her, you are not going to tell me, I hope, that you had not a pleasant evening. Oh, no. I was pleased with my own perseverance in asking questions and amused to think how little information I obtained. I am disappointed, was his only answer. And they go on in this fashion, sparring gently. Mr. Knightley clearly has a higher opinion of Jane than Emma does. There is a passing mention from Mr. Woodhouse of a pork quarter that they have sent to the Bates women. But the most important bit of information in this chapter is that Mr. Elton is engaged to be married. He has been gone only four weeks, so it has been a very rapid courtship. They have received this news, but don't know much about his betrothed, except that her name is Miss Hawkins. The final part of the chapter is concerned with Harriet, who pays a visit upon Emma. She has been caught in the rain and had a rather awkward encounter with Mr. Martin, the man she has refused, and his sister. Harriet had taken refuge in a dry goods store, Ford's, and the Martins were there. They were whispering, and at first Harriet thought they were talking about her. But Mr. Martin spoke with her and suggested that she take a different route home because the path was muddy. Harriet is flustered about this encounter, but Emma is beginning to think that the way that Mr. Martin had conducted himself suggests that perhaps he is a better man than she had thought. The young man's conduct and his sister's seemed the result of real feeling, and she could not but pity them. As Harry described it, there had been an interesting mixture of wounded affection and genuine delicacy in their behavior, end quote. Emma had noticed more delicacy than she had expected in Mr. Martin's proposal letter, and delicacy is a trait associated with gentility. Even though Emma does not go too far in her reflections, she is gradually discovering pieces of evidence that suggest that Mr. Martin may be a better man than she had given him credit for.